All right, if you would please open in the Bible to 1 John chapter 4. We're going to read verses 13 through 21. You'll find it in the Pew Bible. Uh, You'll also find it printed on the beige insert inside the bulletin. This is 1 John chapter 4, beginning at verse 13. If you would please stand. This is the Apostle John writing to the church. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Gracious Heavenly Father, we pray that you would please send the Holy Spirit this morning upon us, that you would put away from us all the distractions, would keep us from hearing you, that you would open our cold and resistant hearts and ears, that we might hear your word, Father, believe your word, obey it, and rejoice in it, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, this has been an interesting season of preparation for uh, this month, for this Sunday. I hold in my hand a couple of interesting things. I, I have that photo directory I mentioned to you, and it's, a, it's in, in mint condition. And then I also have here, <laughs> I also have here uh, the bulletins from MetroCrest in 1989. These bulletins were in the room as our church began to meet. Uh, 32 years ago. Some of you were in the room, a few of you, and uh, these bulletins were in the room as well. And it's interesting to me that on the cover of the photo directory and on the cover of every single church bulletin in this first year of God's grace and mercy to MetroCrest, there appear these words, discovering God's love and sharing it with others. 
Every single bulletin in that first year of grace included those focusing words. In fact, as I've looked over the long history of MetroCrest, those words show up over and over and over and over again. And this week I've been thinking a lot about how we've been discovering God's love and sharing God's love with others for 32 years. Because you know what? You never cease discovering God's love. His love is boundless. His love is amazing. It's dynamic. It is constantly changing. The way he's working in us and through us and around us in spite of us takes your breath away if you pause to think about it. I'd like for us to think about God's love this morning. In fact, I'd like for us to think about 32 years of love. And I'll say more about that choice of words in a moment. 32 years of love. Um, The word in 1 John for love uh, is the Greek word agape. And actually, that is a word Christians had to make up. Uh, The word agape doesn't actually show up in classical Greek. It's a word that shows up in Greek Christian writings. Uh, Christians devised this word to describe what they saw, what they experienced, what they read about, what they heard, what they saw with their own eyes. This idea of love, this amazing, broad, deep, fathomless love that we observe and are a part of. I want to focus with you this morning on, first of all, God's love. God loves. Uh, John never seems to tire of saying that uh, in his gospel. And here in 1 John, as in 2 and 3 John, over and over again, the beloved disciple of Jesus talks about God's great love. Let me back up just a little bit to uh, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Notice verse 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Look down at verse 13. By this we know that we abide in Him, and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him, and He in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. John just marvels at this agape love that we see in God. We see it in so many ways, and chiefly, above all, we see it in the love of Jesus. As we read in our theme verse, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God's love is amazing, and we see it chiefly and most clearly in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And John, who knew Jesus and walked with Jesus, never tired of talking about that love. In John chapter 3, verse 16, was written by the same John. He knew that love. He had seen that love in person. In fact, he actually says it, doesn't he? We, we've seen this. We've experienced this. We know that that love has actually been born into the world. So John knows about God's love and what an amazing thing it is to contemplate God's great love for us in Christ. I mean, if you had to sum up the the gospel in just a few words, you you couldn't do much better than saying, God loves the world. God loves 
God is love. And so that's where John comes again and again and again in his writings to focus on God's great love. He begins there. That's the basis for everything else he's going to say is that the Word became flesh as a manifestation of God's great love. And so he writes about it and he calls us to reflect on it and to think about it. In fact, he actually says that to, to say that Jesus is the Son of God, to, to acknowledge that act of love by, the, by God himself is to have Jesus as Savior. To have Jesus abide with him. That's the very basis for salvation is to acknowledge God's great love. God, you notice, is the initiator. Uh, we love because God first loved us. He first loved us. He loves before we do anything else. He loves before we respond. He comes to us in our unloveliness. As Troy's already reminded us this morning... We come in our brokenness, our neediness, and our rebelliousness, and our, and our refusal to submit to Him. That's when He, in love, comes to us in Christ. He comes to us in the midst of our unloveliest. He comes to us. And so, verse 16, just look at it one more time. Verse 16 is such a powerful statement. So we have come to know and to believe the, God that, the love that God has for us us and that's where we want to begin discovering that great love and the way we discover that of course is through the bible through the scriptures the inerrant word of god the infallible word of god that is where we see recorded for us the love of god in in countless ways chiefly in christ and so for 32 years sunday by sunday by sunday Pastors and teaching elders and ruling elders and visiting preachers have stood in this very spot um, and previously across the highway in our old location, helping us to discover again and again and again and again God's great love. And may we never tire of reflecting on God's great love. It is a powerful thing. And of course, we, we see God's great love in other ways as well. We, we see it in, in the, the community that we're a part of. We see it in the loving relationships that, that evolve. God's love incarnate in us. Jesus' love among His people. God's great love. God's love delivers us from judgment. He delivers us from fear. That, that's a wonderful thing to think about. John actually says that Perfect love casts out fear. That's a, that's a weighty thing to contemplate, that as we grow in understanding God's love, we actually are delivered from fear. You know, a lot of Christians who wrestle with fear, wrestle with guilt and shame and fear because, because we just haven't sufficiently grasped the depth of God's love. And as we grow in understanding his love, we grow in understanding that we can never be afraid of him in in that worldly way. The God with whom we deal is the God who has initiated the relationship with us. And so all of our life in Christ is, is actually based on that relationship of love. It takes away fear. It actually reorients us 
as we look at the God whom we meet in the Bible. So, first, God's love. Let's put a big exclamation point on that, and let's pray that God will continue to help us at MetroCrest to discover more and more and more about his love as we reflect more and more and more on what Jesus Christ has done for us. The life he lived, the penalty he paid to give us his life. Let's reflect on that and may that always be the center of everything at MetroCrest, discovering God's great love. And then secondly, God's love actually leads us to love. John delights in this as well. The, the, the love that God has actually flows to us and to each of us and then uh, from each of us to all of us and from all of us to the world. It's, it's, a, it's an amazing picture of this network of love, this, this web of love that, that God initiates and then He pours that out to us and through us. To the world. Well, let's think about this idea of love. And, and John, in verse 19, uh, writes this in a very interesting way. We love because he first loved us. I mentioned these t-shirts, uh, MetroCrest t-shirts that I'm hoping all of you will buy. The front says MetroCrest Presbyterian Church. It has our beautiful little logo that we've used for years. On the back of the t-shirt, you know what it says? We love because he first loved us. So warning, you're going to be wearing that on your back everywhere you wear that t-shirt. So we got to be loving, don't we? We love. We love because he first loved us. If you are a King James reader like me, I was introduced to the Christian faith, to the old King James Bible. I love the King James Bible. If you read their translation of this verse, it says, we love God. Because he first loved us. And that's true, isn't it? As as we grow in understanding God's love for us, it makes us love him. It makes us grateful for him. Grateful that he reached out to us in our unloveliness. Grateful that he came to us in the midst of our broken, messed up lives. Makes us very, very, very grateful. One of my... Famous, a favorite writers is the famous Thomas Chalmers. My uh, son and his wife are in Scotland uh, right this season attending a church that was founded by Thomas Chalmers. Uh, Chalmers was a great Scottish preacher, probably one of the greatest Scottish Christians. He was a Presbyterian and lived his whole life in the context of the Presbyterian church, one form or another. Uh, and he wrote a wonderful book called The Expulsive Power of a new affection. It's a great little booklet. It's a short read, but it is absolutely brilliant. Track it down. I'm, I'll probably post a copy of it to the uh, Realm uh, Forum. Uh, it's, it's a beautiful little book. I commend it to you very highly. And in it, Chalmers reflects on this, this idea of uh, affection, the, the love we have towards God. He, he writes this, We know of no other way by which to keep the love of the world out of our heart than to keep in our hearts the love of God. It's it's such a simple point, really. Uh, He was writing to those 
who believed that the best way to keep the love of God in our hearts was to scare people by reminding them again and again and again of their sin, which is true. It's a good thing to reflect on our sin. But if we only focus on our brokenness and we never reflect on God's initiative of love, we leave people fearful at best. He said that's not, that's not the way to do it. In fact, he goes on to say, uh, he's, he uses the word uh, legality, by which he means legalism, right? By repenting of all of our sins. He says, retain a single shred or fragment of legality or legalism within the gospel, and we raise a topic of distrust between man and God. We take away from the power of the gospel to melt and to conciliate. He says, actually, for this purpose, the freer it is, the better it is. That very peculiarity, which so many dread as the germ of antinomianism, is in fact the germ of a new spirit and a new inclination against it. Along with the light of a free gospel, does there enter the love of the gospel, which in proportion as we impair the freeness, we are sure to chase away. And never does the sinner find within himself so mighty a moral transformation as when under the belief that he is saved by grace. He feels constrained thereby to offer his heart a devoted thing and to deny ungodliness. Chalmers actually says that the best way to encourage godliness in God's people is to teach relentlessly the love of God. Now, it's the biblical love of God. It's not the world's idea of the God who simply doesn't care about sin. No, we worship a holy God. That's, let's get that straight. We worship a holy God who truly calls us to holiness. But that holy God who truly calls you and me to holiness is the God who loves us in our unholiness. Uh, Sinclair Ferguson is another favorite Scotsman of mine. And he says, uh, God calls us the way we are, exactly the way we are, but he doesn't leave us the way we are. He loves us the way we are. He loves us. He comes to us in our brokenness, in our sinfulness, and he changes us. He makes us more like Jesus as his love flows through Jesus to the likes of you and me. And over time, he miraculously transforms us. He makes us more like Jesus. Sometimes you have to have a spiritual magnifying glass to see it. Sometimes there are these huge steps forward. But it's the Spirit. He talks here, John talks here about the Spirit. It's the Spirit at work within us, conforming us in love to the image of the one who loves us. I think Chalmers is right. The best way to preach holiness is to preach the love of God in Christ in the context of preaching the whole Bible. Let the Word of God do its work. 
and he will make us more like himself. That's what the Spirit does. The Spirit working in us conforms us to Christ. So we do love God, don't we? We love God in gratitude for his great love for us, and it changes the way we live. And over time, as we think about it, it makes all the difference in the world. But you know, as much as I love the King James Version, and as much as I agree with what I just said, in the Greek, it doesn't say we love God. In the Greek, it simply says we love. I think that's significant. Because it is true that in response to God's great love, we love Him. That is absolutely true. But actually, as we love Him, we actually begin to love one another. In in fact, that's what John is saying here more than anything else. He says, if you look back up at verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. See, the very evidence of God's love in us includes this idea that over time, one of the ways God transforms us into the image of his son is over time, he makes us love one another. His word exhorts us to do it over and over again. John talks about it a lot. Love one another, love one another, love one another. The way God's love will be manifested in us is as we are more and more loving to one another in the church. Within the fellowship of God's people, we we come to love one another. It's a beautiful thing to see. When I I look at this this photo directory, (laughs) and I see the faces of people who are still sitting here years later, years later, I'm new here, but I know something of what you all have lived through together. Holding arms, facing challenges, struggling, apologizing, forgiving, learning, discovering together. The more we reflect on God's great love for us, the more we will love one another. You know, that's once one of my prayers for us as a church family, that in the years to come, as we await Jesus' return, that you and I will grow more and more and more and more and more in love for one another. I'm talking to uh, Kathy Collinsworth about starting a kind of a, an enhanced pastoral care uh, team here at Metrocrest. We haven't decided the details. There are a lot of details to talk about, but Kathy's been willing to talk to me about it. Thank you, Kathy. For, in, in exchange for your kind offer, I'm going to embarrass you. Uh, <laughs> because I thought, that's, a, that's right. Let's, let's, we have a wonderful mission team. Let's have a wonderful pastoral care. It's, it's more than one pastor can do, let me tell you. If you even had a really, really gifted pastor rather than the one you have, it's too much for anyone to do. Because it's not about a pastor. I have my role to play, but, you know, it's about all of us. John says over and over again, love one another, love one another. In the Gospel of John, he actually says, the world will know you're my disciples, says the Lord Jesus, by your love for one another. 
See, we can talk all day about God's love, but if we don't love each other, if we don't manifest God's love for one another, the world's going to see right through us. I think that's one of the problems the church has is we talk about God's love, but so often we can be so unloving, so unforgiving, so harsh. That's, that's something we really need to think about and reflect on. It's, it's, in, it's in all of us. We all have that inclination because we're all sinners. But if we really reflect on God's love, well, the Holy Spirit's going to make us love one another. Pastoral care and the, the countless little acts of kindness. You know, after the service this morning, one of the things that happens today, I'm sure, is it happens every Sunday at Metro Christ out here in the lobby. There's just this glorious mob of love. (laughs) I dare you to make your way across the lobby without sensing it. It's a beautiful thing. You know what? That's not you and me. That's, That's God doing what God does. That's God making us to be more loving, more like Jesus. We're imperfect. We get it wrong all the time. But when you see little glimpses of it, it's just amazing to see because it's not like the world. It's not like the world. We're all different. We come from different backgrounds. We have different nationalities and ethnicities. We have people who speak their heart language, their their language is different. But there's this supernatural love between us that is a glorious thing to see. So, God loves, we love God, and secondly, we love one another. It's that same spirit at work. And then thirdly, we love others. You see, that's, that's how this algorithm works. God's love poured out to each of us. And then God's love poured out from each of us to all of us. And then God's love poured out through all of us to the world. We become this loving community. We become this center of love where the God of love does what the God of love does. He changes us, makes us love each other more, makes us his witnesses, and then allows us the incredible privilege of taking his love to the whole world. And when we do that, you know what we're doing? We're doing what Jesus did. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. What did his only begotten son do? His only begotten son, as we just read in the Westminster Confession, came into the world in love to the world that did not respond to him in love. They responded to him with anger and hatred. But he came in love to them. And now you and I, we get to continue that work. That's what Acts says at the very first few verses. Jesus' work began in Judea 2,000 years ago, and it continues today in a, in a powerful way through the church. We love the world because Jesus loves the world. I don't mean we love the pleasures of the world. I mean we care about the people around us, whether they're right here in Carrollton or on the other side of the globe. We have been brought to care about them, even strangers. We've come to have a love for them. And it's not a love that starts with us. In fact, if it starts with us, it'll be messed up. No, the love that 
We want to see is Jesus' love, which loves us too much to leave us exactly the way we come to Him. He receives us that way, but He loves us too much to leave us that way. So we love one another. It spills over from Him to us to the world. You know, we just finished a long series on the book of Acts, and Acts chapter 28 concludes with Paul, and uh, the last many chapters of the book of Acts is very much centered on Paul and his um, work, his journeys, his adventures, uh, which we continue to be a part of. It's very much a Paul-centered story at that point. Actually, it's framed around Paul, uh, pointing towards Jesus. Uh, Paul always pointed towards Jesus, but it's a, it's a story that kind of is built around the experiences of Paul. Well, one of Paul's experiences that I've been thinking a lot about this week, he re- writes about over in Galatians. Let me get you to flip over a few pages to uh, the book of Galatians, to uh, chapter 2, verse 9. You'll find it on page uh, 972. Galatians chapter 2, look down. Uh, that long paragraph, and uh, just to remind you the context, Paul is writing to the church in Galatia. It's one of the churches that he visited, and in the book of Acts we read about Paul going through Galatia, and he's writing this letter to the church. And in chapter 2, he describes his meeting with the other apostles. It's amazing to contemplate this, just to picture it in your head. Look down at Galatians chapter 2, verse 9. In fact, I'll begin up at verse 7. Paul describing his meeting in Jerusalem, uh, Acts 15, with the uh, other leaders of the church. Uh, He says, When they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, that is to the nations, we read about that last Sunday, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, Peter was the apostle to the Jews, It says, verse 8, For he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. The God of love had a plan for both. And then look at verse 9. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars. Just contemplate that scene for a second. (laughs) Here's the Apostle Paul. He's with Barnabas, it says. Paul and Barnabas are there in Jerusalem. And there with Paul and Barnabas are James, the brother of Jesus. And Cephas, that's Peter's other name. Cephas, the prince of the apostles, the the one who preached the very first sermon on Pentecost. And then notice that there with James and Cephas was the Apostle John, the one who wrote this letter. John was there, the beloved disciple, Jesus's, humanly speaking, Jesus' best friend, the one who was next to him at the Lord's Supper. They seemed to Paul to be pillars. And I have to say I agree. Can you imagine that Bible study? Paul and Barnabas and Peter and James, Jesus' brother, and John, Jesus' dearest friend, standing there together, meeting together, talking together about the gospel to the 
circumcised and to the uncircumcised at the very beginning of this incredible work that would spread from Jerusalem to the rest of the world, even to Carrollton, Texas. And there they are standing together. And how did they respond to one another? It's a a beautiful picture. When they perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They had this mission strategy meeting and they agreed to focus primarily on God's continuing work among his ancient people. And the work to the Gentiles was entrusted to Paul and Barnabas. I'm sure at the time it seemed like, uh, you know, James... And John and Peter were given the really, really important work, and Paul and Barnabas were given the work if we get around to it, never imagining that 2,000 years later, people on the other side of the world would be worshiping the Jesus whom they worshiped. But that was, they had this plan, and they, they entrusted to one another this plan, and, and it says they gave the right hand of fellowship to one another. Isn't that a beautiful picture? We still do that. Our ordination service includes the extension of the right hand of fellowship to this day. It means we partner together. We agree to work together to spread this message of love to the whole world. It flows from God to us, from us to the world. And here it is in its infancy, this this amazing slow realization that God has a plan for the whole world and we get to be part of it. And then notice verse 10. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. I I love that. (laughs) Remember the poor. Jesus remembered the poor. And what does that mean? It means that Jesus... Remembered the least. It's not that he hates rich people. It means he remembered the least. The ones that no one else cares about. The ones that no one else noticed. The apostles told Paul, remember them. Because he did. Paul said, that is exactly what I want to do. And so 2,021 years later, after Jesus was born, here we are still trying to do the same thing. Imperfectly, we're sinners, we get it wrong regularly. But our goal is their goal. If you flip back to John chapter 4, here we are, two millennia later, seeking to do what the church has always sought to do, to share God's incredible love with everybody because he loved us first. We get to take that message to the world, even the least. Well, I hope we have this month lots of opportunity to reflect on God's loving faithfulness to us. I hope we have lots of opportunity to praise him for how kind and faithful he's been over many years, through many challenges. Hope we can reflect on that. I hope we will also this month renew 
our commitment. Not only to discover God's love, which I hope we will always do, but because we discover His love, may we seek also to share His love. Our love to Him, our love to one another, and our love to the desperately needy world where He has placed us.